We just live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. <laughs> Suck it, Toronto. To think that, that a season is championship or championship is, is um, certainly the way we've approached it. To the Miami Heat fans, it was, uh, you're despicable people, and I hope I never hear from you again. Milwaukee, we dogs! James Harden is a massive choker, and he is a bum. Bum. Finals MVP, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Bogdan Bogdanovich. Karma. Karma, bitch. Chris, you did it, huh? Hello and welcome to the Brew Hoop Podcast. I'm Adam Paris, co-managing editor of BrewHoop.com. Riley Feldman will not be joining us this week. He is preparing to infiltrate PJ Tucker's complex in Miami. He do a little scouting report down there for us, so thanks to Riley. But I'm thrilled to be joined by Kyle Carr as per usual, and even more thrilled, no offense, Kyle, to be thrilled to be joined by Mitchell Maurer, co-managing editor of BrewHoop.com. Mitchell, it's great to see you. Great to hear your voice. Howdy, partners. Uh, very happy to be able to join the pod this morning. Yeah, it is good to be back after my fun trip to the arena last week to see the Bucks win. It, it was a good time. I knew I was not going to get home in time for the recording, but I was able to still give my two cents. It, but overall, yeah, it's good to be back. I think we're finally getting past this last batch of winter, so fingers crossed. Well... The, the Bucks certainly suffered a cold spell Saturday night against the Warriors, but we're going to be talking about something a little bit different before that. We None of the games were all that enticing this last week, so we are going to talk about the playoff confidence level index. We're going to start running through the roster. I think we're, we're about a month out from the playoffs now, so it's time to really start thinking about who on the roster is going to be able to contribute in a meaningful way. So I figured we would just run through everyone on the team and uh, go from a do a, a confidence level scale one to 10. So what I was thinking about this, the criteria basically being, okay, if someone was a full 10, all right, independent of matchup, they're going to be able to contribute in a really meaningful way, basically all the way throughout the playoffs. You're not worried about them at all. One isn't Jeff Teague, as you might think, Jeff Teague would be a little above a one, I believe. I think it would basically be Mamu's thrown in there, a two-way player way down the line. Is getting thrown in there. So I was thinking to call your attention the Eastern Conference Finals in twenty nineteen. Oh, that is come on the cheap that's, shots. At that's a low bar. The it cheap shots bar. at your it, it seems right. Play. Am I wrong? He did leave for Spain right after it was so bad. Um, that's true. All right. So so that's kind of what I was thinking. So we'll start with some of the big ones. So uh, Kyle, on a scale of one to ten, where do you have Giannis on your playoff confidence level index? Ten. I I, I feel like it needs. It is easily a 10. I don't care what team is out there. Giannis probably will be the best player on the court. We've seen him close playoff series. We've seen him close close games. I have all the confidence in the world in Giannis. And it's not even that he could. It's not even if he were to score, you know, the 30, 40, even 50 points. It's his gravity that if he's able to get into rhythm, he still attracts enough attention where he can kick it out. And his playmaking ability has improved this year. His passing has gotten better. He's playing smarter. 
I don't see any reason why it can't be a 10. The only thing would maybe be free throws, and even that seems to be better than in the past. So I, I'm going 10, easiest easiest rating I have to give. Yeah, honestly, the only thing I struggle with with the rating is stopping at 10 because of my irrational level of confidence <laughs> in Giannis's ability to perform when it matters most. If we learned anything from Game 6 of the Finals is that dude is going to bring it when it absolutely needs to be brought. What did he go, 17 and 19 from the foul line in game six to clinch it? It was something absurd like that. Like, it's his level of improvement in the areas of his game which needed to improve for him to be able to – I think you put it really well, Kyle. It doesn't matter who the matchup is. He will be the best player on the floor. If they're playing the Sixers, Giannis is going to be a better player overall in terms of general impact than Embiid or Harden. Embiid and Harden are going to be good – and they've been good with Philly so far, but Giannis as an individual player is going to be the best out of any of them. Same for Brooklyn, same for Miami, same for uh, Cleveland or Chicago or whoever else gets in the way, essentially. Um, if I had to put a number to it, I would probably say like a 13. But <laughs> if if we're going to top out at you know the mathematical limit of 10, it's a, it's a wholehearted 10. Okay. I was curious. I, I I I think the game six obviously clinched the ten. I was curious if anyone would go would get you know nine point nine nine point eight. You know, try and say that with the free throws. But you're right, Kyle. When when you make seventeen of nineteen, when you when the free throws even this year are looking better, it, I think it merits going all the way up to the ten. Obviously, yeah. It's just I can't think of even if they didn't win the title last year, I still would have probably been closer to a nine point nine because if the Bucks had lost, say, to Brooklyn. I don't think – you can't really point to Giannis and say, okay, that was your bad. If they had lost to – if they had lost in the Eastern Conference Finals after he got hurt, it's like, well, he got hurt. If he was healthy, the Bucks would have won. If it was Phoenix, as we were seeing, Phoenix is really good. So it would have been a – well, what more could Giannis get? We were saying that throughout the whole final series. Like, Giannis – it was Giannis and back comments had really doing the heavy lifting early on. So even if the Bucks hadn't won the title, I still would have probably gone 9.9 or 10. And now that he showed in Game 6 – Yes, kind of like what Mitchell said. The only reason it's not higher is because we had to have a limit. That's true. All right. Pitchfork, this is not. We will give out a 10. We will give a beautiful rating. All right. Chris Middleton, where do you got him? Mitchell, you go first. So I am a noted Chris Middleton stan. I don't have like a burner account that's (laughs) at Chris Middleton stan on Twitter, even though maybe I should. Um, I'm actually going to go pretty low on Chris. And I'm going to explain why. I'm going to say that I have Chris at about an 8, maybe 7.58. It's not Chris's fault that I'm rating him that low. The reason why I'm worried about Chris's performance in the playoffs is that he is going to have a ton of responsibility on his play. Think about it. Not only is he one of the best shot makers on the team from all three levels, like he's improved as a finisher at the rim, uh, last year and this year, it was like remarkably better scoring up close. Clearly one of the best mid-range shooters in the game. Pl- clearly one of the best three-point shooters in the game. And so he has to take and make a lot of shots. He also has a huge amount of playmaking responsibility. He does a ton of the, that pick and roll with Giannis that they run late in games. is like That's their bread and butter in crunch time situations. And so he's going to have to do a lot of playmaking. And this team's perimeter defense is weaker than it was last year. P.J. Tucker did a ton to help shore up the team's perimeter defense. And Brooke Lopez is not a perimeter defender, but Brooke Lopez being 
on the court playing defense at the rim meant that Bobby Portis was not on the court playing defense further out, which is what they've been doing. And he's improved too, but who are you going to put on a big scoring wing like Kevin Durant? Like we don't have PJ Tucker. We don't have, uh, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but we don't have DeAndre Bembry for the foreseeable future. Cause I think he got hurt yesterday. Uh, and he probably wouldn't have made the playoff rotation either. Wes Matthews. Maybe if he makes a playoff rotation, if he can shoot well enough to stay there. But I think a lot of that responsibility is going to fall on Chris because you can't have – well, maybe you can have Giannis do it, but we're already asking a lot of Giannis. Drew is going to have his hands full with the guards that the uh, Bucks are going to go through. They, If you think about the remaining bench players that are going to make the playoff rotation, assuming Brooke is healthy, it's Bobby, it's Pat, it's Ibaka, it's George Hill. There's not a wing stopper in that group. And so Chris is going to have to do it. And I think that when Chris gets overloaded, his performance might suffer. And that's why I'm worried. See, I have a different worry. And that's now teams are actually going to focus on him. Maybe last year they could have thought, okay, Chris, we know what Chris Middleton is. We kind of saw, like, it feels like for a lot of people, we saw what Chris Middleton's ceiling was. And that's, you know, he'll get hot, but he's not going to be the guy. Other than he gets Boston, he's not going to be the guy that completely torches you no matter what. And then he did that. So I'm more worried that teams are actually going to focus on him. And as we've seen against Toronto, all you gotta, if you put a double on him, he's going to struggle. And our team's going to also include that. Is a smarter team like Miami or if they face Toronto in the first round, they're going to try that as well. And is that going to make a difference? I don't know. So that's my own, that's actually my concern is not necessarily on the defensive end because while yes, it is still going to be the wing stopper, I'm looking at the rest of the Eastern Conference. And you can pretty and other than maybe Brooklyn, in which maybe Giannis will guard Kevin Durant just to make just to try it, since there is no PJ Tucker, there's not as much of a concern. You know, you're looking at uh Philly, you have Harden and a B. Drew can take Harden, Giannis or Brooke, or yeah, yeah, Giannis or Brooke will probably take Embiid. You look at Chicago. I'm not worried there. Chris Middleton can deal with DeRozan, and it's all right. I'm trying to think of other good teams. Boston, not worried. So it's just like defensively, I'm not as concerned until they face whoever in the West. But in the East, eh, not so much. But it's just more the teams will guard him specifically because they know now. It's like, okay, Chris Middleton is someone you need to pay attention to the whole time. It's not just if he beats you, so be it. You stopped Giannis, congrats. You have to stop Giannis and Chris. So I'll say... I'll say 7.5 just because if they face a Miami or Toronto, a team that could put a scheme together to slow him down with doubles, I'm a little worried there. Yeah, the Chris Middleton, I think that's probably about, I think you guys about nailed it. I mean, he's, you know, he had, like, he'll have the game like he did against Golden State. I mean, he had 19 points and 18 shots. He's probably going to have those in two, maybe three games out of a seven-game series. You would hope not, but he's probably going to have that, especially given the volume that they're asking him to do. And, you know, he's he's going to light it up, but I think you're, you're totally right, Kyle. When they're asking him to play make more, there are going to be some teams that are just going to say, all right, let's see if Giannis can beat us. We'll double, we'll double Chris, force him to turn the ball over. We might try and double Drew. We'll see if that'll work. And Giannis might very well be able to just beat them regardless. But I, I think you guys probably nailed it. Uh, my question about if, if Chris Middleton is, is he completely sandbagging his defense in the regular season? Like, is he putting forth no effort that that's entirely possible because he, he, he certainly doesn't seem like he's that interested in that side of the court right now. And I, I can't blame the guy. I mean, he's been playing forever. And so, you know, the other thing is 
I do wonder if maybe his shot will fall off a little. He he was pretty darn good. I just looked. He was 47% from long mid-range in the postseason last year. The real question to me is, is some of his stuff that he's been doing this regular season, is it going to translate? Because that might up my confidence up to maybe a little bit more than an eight, maybe an 8.5. He's been getting more free throws than he's ever gotten. Who knows if that translates to the regular season, but I'd be interested in that. He's also taking more threes than ever, which makes him a little more volatile, but in the aggregate maybe might make him, you know, make up for if he's having a cold spell inside the arc. So I'm curious if those trends will translate to the postseason, which might give me a little bit more confidence in him. But I think you guys about need I think that's about the right level for Chris. Um, all right, next one. Drew Holiday, final member of the big three. What do you got, Mitchell? I think Drew's about nine. Um, he's, he's not the all-encompassing connector that Giannis is. But and, and if you mentioned uh, sandbagging on the defensive end. You know, Chris maybe is engaged in that. Drew Holiday is absolutely engaged in that over the course of the regular season. He'll never admit it, A, because he's a professional, B, because he's pride in his defense, which is legitimately great. And, you know, he's probably going to deservedly make an all-defensive team, probably the first team. But, like, these guys don't care about the regular season. None of them, not really. It doesn't matter. It's fine. I'm not even upset about that. We won the championship last year. All the other bums can get lost. But uh, when it comes to the playoffs, I think there, was a, there was a game not too long ago. I don't remember exactly where it was. But Drew got fired up in the fourth quarter and, like, went on an absolute tear as a result. And, like, when that guy gets locked in, it's not just that he can wreak havoc on defense. is that he does things on offense that just other smaller guards – he's not a small guard, but, you know, players – peers in his position, other players can't do like getting into the teeth of defense and finishing with his offhand, which is basically kind of like John Henson. Like, I don't know how his, he's not a lefty because um, he uses that left all the time. That step back three has somehow been money all year. Uh, his mid range game like comes alive in spurts here and there. Um, and he, you know, again, he he came through clutch in the finals, just like Giannis did in some of like the most intense moments. And we didn't say that about Chris. I mean, Chris deserves that credit too because he also did the same in the finals. But when it comes to Drew, I guess we just have more of we have more of an idea of what he is, what he can do, and what his workload is. And uh, I guess that's why I'm more biased to give him a higher rating than Chris Middleton. Um, but I guess you know Drew is better than most of the guards he's going to play, whereas Chris is going to be on a similar level, maybe even a disadvantage against some of the wings that he's going to play. I think that's probably the reason for my uh, difference in the rating. I was going to say for Drew, yeah, he's definitely sandbagging, not because he's intentionally doing it, but you can tell when he's actually deciding, okay, I'm going to guard. Like in the Nets game after the All-Star break, it was kind of a, okay, now I will try and guard Kyrie. Now I'm going to put that pressure on him. He definitely chooses what he's going to get locked in. But I think the fourth quarter kind of has shown like when he, he can be bad for three quarters. But when the fourth quarter comes around, he's going to be that guy. He's going to kind of dial it in. So I give him an 8.5 just because he is someone that's going to um, make the call and make the decisions that he'll take over. And that we saw that in the last week against the Heat. We saw that against the Suns. We saw that against the Bulls. Like He can go and score 14, 15 points in the fourth quarter out of nowhere, and that's going to be the key difference. And we know defensively, he is that good. So I, I'll give Drew an 8.5. Not to disrespect Chris. It's just 
Drew's defensive floor so much higher. Do you guys have any concern that the, I feel like Drew, Drew is better this year in my opinion than last year, but do you have any, any concern that the, uh, the sort of career year numbers that he's putting up are once again, going to turn to dust in the postseason and he's going to start missing a ton of shots again. I mean, I mean, even I'll, if he does, I'll we wait. saw what happened in that game. <laughs> <laughs> like the net series was a prime example of he got hot and then all of a sudden couldn't make a shot to save his life, but then hits a couple clutch baskets in game seven. But yeah, you guys, but you it, feel like that you feel like the defensive, you feel like the defensive impact is, is still more than enough and more consistent than, than, than Chris to warm oh, yeah. him above Chris. It, it's, it's funny that you pose it like that. My, I agree. My knee jerk answer is yes. Trust, I trust Drew's floor more than I cr- trust Chris's floor. But also, like, Chris Middleton has had a long history of maintaining his shot making when it matters, even before the Bucks were, like, really mm-hmm. good. So I, th- I think we, we might have been being a little unfair to Chris previously. But again, like, that, that net series was a perfect encapsulation, just like Kyle mentioned. Like, he shot terribly for game over game over game, but then when like when it got to the like the last minute, he was hitting. His defense was there the whole time. That's fair. All right. I think now we're gonna get get into some more interesting ones. So Bobby Portis. What do you how are you feeling about Bobby Portis? I yeah, you start Kyle, you start. Yeah, it's I'm gonna go six point five. Not because of anything Bobby's doing wrong. It's just kind of like what I said. Teams will focus on him a little bit more. Teams will target him defensively. Teams are not going to let him just get loose and pull up from three as frequently. So it's not that I have no faith in Bobby's ability. We saw like he can make an impact, but we also saw, you know, there might be a series where Bud just suddenly, well, now it's a little bit different, but Bud might not play him as much. And I'm just a little concerned that, teams will again it's kind of like what i said with chris teams are now focusing like they're going to be they're not going to get fall into prey of okay whatever we'll just let this happen like bobby can hit eight threes in a game that could completely turn the tide i just don't know if it, he's definitely a if he's on he's going to he's going to give the bucks a win he's going to get into 20 30 points if he is on offensively and if he's not on then it's a little tough i mean he has gotten better defensively but it's still a a smart team will be able to attack him so I'm just a little lower on Bobby just because if his shots aren't falling, it's definitely a lot tougher to know the positive impact that he's going to have on the court. I couldn't disagree more. I'm actually going very high with Bobby. I'm going to give him a 9.5. Let me explain myself. Um, there is there is a certain je ne sais quoi when it comes to Bobby Portis that I don't know how to articulate, but that dude loves he will create moments if it's a game that doesn't matter. Like, it's not just that he is a skilled player, and it's not just that he's really improved his performance on defense. His instincts are probably still as bad as they always were because instincts are really hard to improve upon, but at least his execution of what he's being asked to do has been really good lately. And he's able to use his size and mobility in ways that he wasn't able to last year. But he finds ways to contribute. Whether it's spacing the floor and hitting threes when the defense gets bent out of shape, which happens all the time when Giannis and Chris and Drew are out there performing near the peak of their powers, 
but he also can get inside and mix it up. He comes up with timely offensive rebounds, and that's the sort of thing that can really shift the momentum of a quarter, a half, and can pull the team out of a rut. And I, I see there's nothing about Bobby's performance last year or this year that makes me believe that that's not going to repeat. Now, if this is all entirely contingent on Brooke Lopez being some approximation of himself next year, if Bobby Portis is asked to be the starting center in the Eastern Conference Finals, should the Bucks even be able to get that far? Like, that, that is a high-risk, high-reward situation. Because you might get everything that I just talked about, but you also might get, you know, you, you might get a team that does exploit his weaknesses and is able to essentially take his best hits and still maintain their ability to get the best of Milwaukee because he's not as good at protecting the rim as Brooke Lopez is. So it is admittedly a, a risky rating to give Bobby that, that high of a number, but I just have a very, very good feeling about Brooks' prognosis and what it means for returning to the court for the playoffs. And as a result, what role Bobby is going to excel in on the court. I think I think I'd probably land in between the two of you. I don't think I have the the irrational confidence of Mitchell and Bobby, nor maybe a bit of the some of the pessimism in Kyle. I I agree. My higher rating though is is very contingent upon Brooke Lopez coming back. I think when he's shifted into a bench role, I think it's it'll almost be perfect. I mean, I think he has more confidence than ever in taking his shot, more confidence than ever than taking three pointers out there. Lord knows the Bucks need as many players as possible who can possibly hit three pointers at a consistent level in the playoffs because it's probably going to fall off for some other players. Giannis will hit his twenty five percent or whatever, and you know the some of the matchups are going to be tough. I think I heard someone make a good point that I'm not sure how super pick and roll heavy all of these teams are going to be. I mean, we saw Kevin Durant try and target Bobby Portis a lot last year, but I did think he made some strides when the Bucks were switching more. I'm I'm still not like a super big fan of him doing all the hedging and, and blitzing. I actually sometimes, frankly, would, would prefer a little bit more just switching and maybe they'll do that a bit more in the playoffs. But so I'd let somewhere in the middle. I think he's played well enough to, I think, warrant confidence in him being a consistent contributor. I don't think he'll be benched for any parts of series anymore. I don't think that the team has the luxury of doing that, but I'm still a little bit wary in some matchups, I think so. Um, all right, next one. I'm interested. Uh, Mitchell, where do you have Grayson Allen ranked? Grayson Allen, I would give six and a half, six point five. I just I don't have enough to go off of with Grayson Allen. Like we haven't seen him in an extended NBA playoff run. Like yeah, he's got a ton of history at Duke. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Because nobody else will let us fucking forget it. <laughs> Anything that he did in college, but. Uh, we we haven't seen him on this team. We've seen everybody else team through the stretch run except for Grayson Allen. Um, maybe he'll be able to maintain his shooting all the way through a series, uh, two series, get to, get through the conference finals or the finals, or maybe he's going to hit a cold spell. I don't know. I just don't know. His defense is fine. It's not bad. It's merely fine. Uh, he does have you know some connector abilities. On offense, uh, he's he's useful with the ball. He can create a little bit for others and for himself. So the ability is certainly there. I just don't have the same level of irrational trust in Grayson Allen yet because I haven't seen it. I'm a little higher. 
I think I'm going to go 7, 7.5, just because he knows his role. He knows what he's going to do. I don't think Grayson Allen is going to be someone that's going to go out of what he's asked to do. He's going to, if he gets an open shot, he's going to shoot it. He's going to maybe create off the dribble a little bit. He's defensively fine enough. They'll probably just put him on a weaker defender who's not going to command as much attention. So I just feel like Grayson Allen's expectations are going to be lower. And worst case scenario, if he doesn't perform, then Pat Connaughton will just take more of those minutes. And that's not, and that's a pretty good luxury. So I think I'm giving Grayson Allen a little bit more credit just because. I'm not expecting him to do more like I, with everyone else, like with the big three and Brooke and Bobby. It's like we're asking them to pretty much change the tide of a game. While with Grayson Allen, it's more of a don't screw it up. Do what you need to and just don't screw it up while doing so. And I feel confident that he can do that. So I think that's why I'm a little bit higher. I, I think he's smarter than Dante was. So, you know, having that just better IQ will give him a slight edge. So I, I just feel like. I'm not asking him to do much. Hit some shots. Defend as well as you can. Maybe create off the dribble every once in a while. If you can do that, great. Yeah, it's not even that he's necessarily higher IQ than Dante, because Dante was a smart player. It's that Grayson's a lot more responsible. He doesn't take those unnecessary gambles the same way that right. Dante that's does. What, that's kind of what I was mean by higher IQ. It's just more the, he knows this is probably not the time to try something if he doesn't. Like, this is maybe not the time to risk it. Which, while that also made Dante a decent enough player, it also had its flaws. Yeah, I, I do think it's interesting. I, I find him to be more of a caretaker role for that fifth starter as well. I find it interesting then that Bud doesn't seem to have a, a lot of faith in him in many closing lineups, which is which is strange. I, I'd probably lean a little bit more towards Mitchell. Uh, I just don't know if we've seen enough from him. I'm curious if he can get hot enough to have uh, like an impact on a series like Bryn Forbes honestly did against Miami and hit enough threes. Uh, which I think if he if he had that level of impact in even one series, I would say that's probably a pretty good playoff run as long as he isn't able to maybe get played off the court and the rest. So, all right, we're going to keep moving here. We're on to our, our sort of injured trio. Let's start with Brooke Lopez, a very, very interesting number that you might have to rate. How are you feeling, Mitchell? Man, we, have, we haven't seen him since opening night. <laughs> We've got we've got some pregame footage. We've got some practice footage of him taking shots. He looks like himself. He got a haircut recently, which he should be getting close. Like we might see him before the end of March. Yeah, Mark might... Mark Mark Spears tweeted last night. Sources were saying they might return in the next week. Him and George Hill. Right. Okay. Right. So probably after the most likely after the road trip's over. Mm-hmm. <sighs> For the playoffs. Brooke Lopez has still not given me any reason to not trust him. But he's been off for a long time. Is he going to be ramped up in time for when it really matters? Probably. I'll say eight. I'll say eight. He'll probably be ramped up. Yes. He's, he's, he's comfortable. Like, we're not asking him to do anything differently. right? He's older, but he's been able to have a nice extended break. He knows how to take care of his body. That's what he, that's what this whole month long process has been is taking care of his body. I think he'll be okay. No, no, <laughs> I got a, I have a three point five. We're asking a thirty three year old man that just had back surgery to get ready enough in the playoffs to perform at the level that he did before. He that, is a, just that is asking a lot. It was, like, it was like a couple. Of, Weeks it ago? is back yeah. surgery. It was just a bulging disc, Kyle. It was just shaving a disc. Yeah, he, sh- he shaved that bad boy off. Yeah, shaved ice. Yeah. It was fine. 
We're well, asking a seven it. foot, two hundred something pound dude that is thirty three who just got his disc shaved off to be at the level that we need to contend for a champion. I'm no, I'm low. I'm giving a three. Like if Brook Lopez, even his presence might be enough to make a difference, but I'm not expecting this guy to like come out of here and be this defensive anchor like right off the bat. Like maybe by later stages of the playoffs he'll get up there, but. We know he's going to be on some kind of restriction. I, I'm sure he's going to only play like 20 minutes each game for the regular season, just more to get his conditioning up. Like, but this, we're, we are asking this dude to, that just had back surgery after going months trying to rehab it, and then go, you know what, we're going to do surgery to just come in and just be fine. No, this is not, if this was like this is not like Pat Connaughton. This is not like George Hill's injury situation where I'd say, okay, it's not going to affect as much of your like pack on it especially is can you just shoot the ball i don't know what's going on george hill i think he's just old and they're just giving a break because he's old but a dude with back surgery that's seven foot no i don't have confidence i want to but i have until i see it i am i'm not giving it higher than a three i really don't appreciate how much sense you're making kyle and it does offend me <laughs> i'm getting close to 30 and my back is not great and i'm like how am i how would someone play basketball doing this oh man i'm staring down the barrel of 35 i know what you're talking about <laughs> i mean he was playing five on five with the herd right that's a pretty close approximation of playoff level intensity frank mason is is back i think right yes that's pretty good i mean the herd are a good team you know better than probably some of these nba teams but oh god uh kyle, kyle speaking on behalf of riley who i think would give it maybe a one he has he has lived in fear of the backs the back surgery all year I, I i have a little more faith i i would lead a little more towards mitchell um but that's just that's just irrational faith because uh I probably give it around like a six, you know, a little more confidence. Here's I'm the good say, news. Like we are expecting, like we've been saying, if this, <laughs> if Brooke Lopez isn't here, it is a lot harder. If little to no chance of the Bucks repeating, and so we're expecting this guy to just like jump in and be like, okay, we're good. <laughs> okay, here, here, let's just let's, let's shift it a little bit when it comes to Brooke. If you were gonna put him out there for five minutes, knowing what we know so far, you put him out there for a five minute stretch. Trust him to do his job and do it well for a five, for five minutes. To do it well? No. Not even for five minutes. No, it's back surgery. <laughs> I, I can't yeah. trust a dude coming off back surgery. <laughs> look, 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 look. The, the Bucks are not going to put themselves in a position where, where they're going to put Brooke out there and he's not ready to go, right? Like, yes, they did. And part of, part of this is Serge Ibaka and the insurance that – his acquisition offers the team, but they're the whole point of their approach with Brooke this season has been to get him ready for the postseason, and that's why they've been so deliberate with giving him all the time off in the world to do exactly what he's doing. Like he's not the one that's out there, you know, partying after a loss like some other players are in the league. Not going to mention them by name or anything, but like he's been in the gym, he's been getting himself ready he knows what to do it's it's an issue that he's dealt with before remember like this is not his first back issue he had a back surgery in college i believe and he was able to obviously come through that yes in college this was a long time ago i know he's older <laughs> kyle stop looking at me like that <laughs> i need this don't take this from me but if you so here's here's the point of my my diatribe if you need him for 30 
32, 35 minutes in a playoff series, that's a bad situation to be in coming off of back surgery. If you only need him for 20 or 22 because you have Serge Ibaka, who can fill in for him in spot minutes, and you have Bobby Portis, who isn't going to replace what Brooke does, but is going to give the team a different look at the center position from what Brooke does, I think the team will be okay. I think the team will be okay. And I think that because his job description essentially involves fewer minutes now, I think he's going to be able to push himself to play at the level he is accustomed to playing. All right. Mitchell Optimist Club. I like that. All right. Pat Connaughton. Pat Connaughton. Where do you got Pat Connaughton at, Kyle? See, I'm the opposite on with injury and coming back. I have Pat Connaughton at a nine. Because last if if last year proved anything is I can trust Pat Connaughton in the clutch. That alone, that finals run made me think, okay, you can trust Pat Connaughton. And we thought it was going to be a fluke, even if his shooting is not to the same level, which that would be ridiculous. He shot really, really well in the postseason. I feel like that would be asking too much. But he is someone that I think has perfected his role. He is someone with his shooting. He is a threat. He's definitely like Bobby where it, but the difference is if the shot's not falling, I can trust Pat Connaughton to go in and get the damn rebound. I can trust Pat Connaughton to try defensively. He might have a couple flybys, which is going to hurt, but I just have more faith in Pat Connaughton coming in, performing his role. And kind of like what I said with Grayson Allen, if Grayson Allen struggles, you can throw Pat Connaughton out there and you're not missing a beat. So I am more, and I feel like with Pat Connaughton's injury, it shouldn't affect too, too much. Obviously, it's going to be, I'm sure it'll be different trying to shoot with the, you know, bones and healing and everything just because he hasn't really had a chance to shoot at the very least. But no, I I, I have faith in Pat Connaughton. I will give him a nine because I think he is the most important bench player that the Bucks have. Unless Bobby comes off the bench, then okay. But I'm going with the, unless Bobby's coming off the bench, Pat Connaughton is the most important bench player the Bucks have right now. Yeah, I'm actually right in lockstep with you on this one, Kyle. Um, I've got Pat at a nine. He's He does so much stuff, and he's getting a break at the best possible time. Not that it was for the best reasons, because he broke his damn hand, but the fact that he got a couple of weeks off during the stretch run of the season, he's going to come back before the end of the regular season, get his legs back under him, get back in the flow of things with the team. Uh, he's going to be okay to, to do his job in the playoffs, and that's the thing about Pat, is that his job could be just about anything except for playing point guard. And he's going to give it his all. He's going to use his athleticism and his savvy to do what needs to be done. He's going to hit shots, as long as there's not any sort of like lingering weirdness with the fact that he you know broke a bone in his shooting hand. I don't know how long that comes back, how long it takes to come back from that, but yeah, Pat's going to be fine. Pat's going to be fine. I'm right there with you, Kyle. Yeah, I would go nine point five. I would, I would, if it weren't for his hand breaking, I might go nine nine seven five. He guy stared down the barrel of a Brooklyn Nets series and was the only person that Bud trusted off the bench to win him that series. So Pat Connaughton has to be absolutely high up on the scale uh, of being able to deliver. He's earned that with his performance last year. Hand hand a little iffy, especially given that he had that sort of fast release he was working on this year. He seemed to be improving in that regard. He obviously was stroking it at a really high level. So hopefully, hopefully that'll come back. But Pat did more than enough to earn a really high ranking. So I, I totally agree with you guys. Um, all right, George Hill. 
the uh, the forgotten man, the next soreness, George Hill. What are you thinking about George Hill right now, Kyle? Uh, four. <laughs> I mean, like I said, he's probably just getting a long break because he's old, but neck in- neck issues are never great. Even when he was healthy, his real best ability right now is that he is someone that can handle a ball um, off of, you know, off the bench, which they don't have at this current moment. But that's assuming, again, I, I just don't know. Like, this is not the George Hill from 2019 where I would have given him a nine. Like, I'll give him, like, a five just because as long as he doesn't turn the ball over too much, then I think we'll be okay. And, I mean, that that's all I could really ask for. Similar. Uh, I have him at about a five, maybe four and a half. Um, if you look at George Hill in the same role that he was in with the team a couple years ago, in the bubble, well, you're going to be disappointed. He's two years older, and you know those you know, all those little injuries, all those little dings and scrapes, they add up. But if you look at him to replicate the role that Jeff Teague played last year, you immediately feel much better about the team because instead of Jeff Teague, who's who's good, he did fine. But instead, of Jeff Teague, you have George Hill, who can handle the ball, can work the the offense from the point guard position. Excellent defender, excellent connector, excellent cutter, good shooter on occasion. We haven't really seen the the great George Hill shooting that we grew accustomed to a couple of years back uh, since his return. But he'll probably be fine as long as he's operating healthy. And there's there's just no guarantee of that with George. Yeah, it's it's entirely based on health. I think looking at it entirely from the view Mitchell espoused, which is replacing Jeff Teague. You can feel okay putting it at about a four or a five, but given he's just seeming to, this injury is taking a while and he hasn't really, you know, he definitely hasn't had any of the bounce that you've expected from the past years. So just expect him to come in, be a caretaker, curious how he'll hold up defensively in the playoffs. I think he's looked, you know, decent enough. The Bucks always, I think, could have use for folks who can guard and, and face guard guards. So I'd, I'd rank him in about that four to five range. Um, getting down to the end of players who are probably going to be uh, actually playing minutes here. Uh, Mitchell, how are you feeling about Serge Ibaka? A couple weeks into his buck stint, how are we feeling? I have Serge at about a six. He is we, – we were talking about uh, Brooke and we are talking about George Hill being old. Like, Serge Ibaka's old. Like, that guy moves like a guy who's lost a step or two a couple years ago. Now, here's the thing about Serge, though. His mind still works just as well as it always did. He knows where to be. He knows what to do. Has all the skills that you need from a backup big. You know, able to stretch the floor on offense, which is an added bonus. I think he'll be fine in the minutes that he's asked to play. But similar to Brooke, if you're going to ask him to play too many minutes, you're going to end up disappointed. If you ask him to play small stretches, if his work shifts are relatively short and he only has to do a couple of key things from that position, I think you'll be okay. I think you can do a lot worse uh, at backup center than Serge, the current Serge Ibaka. But if you expect him to do the same thing that Bobby Porras is doing, he's not going to do it. He's too slow for that. If you expect him to be able to you know, get up for alley-oops and, and work the post, like, not, not really. Not really. He's going to spot up, find his, find his areas to contribute on offense, hopefully be a smart, communicative, communicative defender, and that's the best you can hope for. Yeah, I'm kind of on board. I might have a little higher of confidence, maybe like a seven, just more because 
I think Serge Ibaka, as we're seeing, is starting to get a little bit more comfortable being with Milwaukee. Obviously, it was kind of hard to expect him to kind of come in and learn his own drops game. I know Phoenix just obliterated him on it, but Phoenix probably does that to everyone. He's definitely growing into it. I think once Milwaukee goes to a more switching ability, that's where I, I'm actually more concerned if they decide to go switching with Serge Ibaka on the floor than if the zone drop because he is old and not that quick. But I think he's good for a couple threes. I think he's good. He's a good enough rim protector. I kind of the same thing. We're not asking him to play that many minutes. It's kind of just a come in, give Giannis a breather, give Brooke a breather, give Bobby a breather. I, I think that's relatively reasonable. He still has enough post moves where it can be effective. He's still decent enough in the pick and roll situation where he's enough of a threat. So I, I have enough confidence that despite his lack of athleticism, he still can do the things that he needs to well enough. So yeah, I'd say seven. Yeah, he's he's been fine functionally. I'd probably put him at about like a five, five or a six. When he's on the court, opponents have been shooting about the shot profile the Bucks want, so they aren't shooting much at the rim. Uh, shooting a lot of mid-rangers, which is good. When people get to the rim, they are making a lot of shots. He's looked more comfortable offensively, like Kyle said. Started making some threes in that Warriors game. Even had like a short roll, caught the ball, turned, and made a pass from the lane out to West Matthews in the corner, which, of course, Matthews bricked the shot, but... Um, Ibaka, you know, as he's starting to settle into the role, he seems like he's incredibly vocal on the bench. I don't know what that necessarily, how important that is, but I think it's nice to have another veteran leader as they head into the playoffs, different voice in the room, that kind of stuff. Um, all right. Wes Matthews, Mitchell, where are we at with Wes Matthews right now? I hate to say it, but I'm at like a two with Wes. I adore Wes. I think he's what the Bucks need in terms of the type of player that he is right now. I don't know how much Wes has in the tank and I'm skewing negative on my impression of what he's able to offer throughout a long playoff run. His, his shot has come and go his defense. Like he's tough. He's strong. His quickness is declining as it, as it comes for all of us. Right. Um, he's able to body up guys for short stretches of time over the length of a long series. I just don't see it. I, I can see him having a, a very important role in maybe the first and the second round. After that, I don't know if he's going to stay in the rotation because I don't know if they're going to be able to maintain what they need to do with him on the floor. Yeah, I, I'm, ex, I'm slightly higher. I'm at a four just because he can't shoot worse, right? right? Like, he can't shoot any worse than he is right now. That It can't be that bad. It can't get worse, him shooting. But it might stay this bad. He's, oh, 30, it, I mean, he's 35 of 115 from three on the year. It can't continue being this bad. So that's why I'm going to go slightly higher, only because I'm going with the hope and confidence that he can't continue shooting this poorly. <laughs> it's it's irrational, but that is my only logic, is it can't be this bad, right? Right? If you're going to be irrationally... Uh, optimistic about somebody, it's probably a wiser bet to bet on Wes Matthews and Brooke Lopez coming off back surgery. I'll concede that. That's true. My one fear, I would be very low, maybe like a two. He just can't make any shots, which is just so demoralizing when they get him open shots and you can't hit those in the playoffs. My one, my, my big fear right now is that Bud's confidence level in him is like a 13 and is going to play him a ton of minutes. Uh, I'm a little bit scared of that. It, it, I mean, granted, he brings a ton more defensively. 
than like Grayson Allen in the closing minutes. We, I feel like we've seen a lot of West in closing minutes. Maybe that's the value add that you can do. I, I looked last year, PJ Tucker shot 32% in the playoffs from three. Can he approximate that? Maybe he doesn't necessarily offer the same level of like offensive rebounding that Tucker probably probably did. But um, I don't know. I, it, I'm pretty low on West right now, and I'm a little fearful Bud's going to overplay him um, in come the playoff time. But could be a, just a product of seeing no Pat Connaughton, so we're seeing a lot more West right now. So I'm getting a little skewed. Um, all right, Javon Carter, Kyle, how you feeling about Javon Carter right now? Give me a nine. Give me a nine. You know what? He's doing everything that I was hoping Dante would do this season. So I'm I'm all in. He's a good like I can feel that he's gonna pick defenders up full court and not give up too much ground. He seems to know his shot pro- profile really well. He's hitting those shots as well. He's just a smart player who is a really good defender. He will give it his all. And I've always said he is the Nasus energy with skill. And he is, again, doing everything that I wanted Dante to do this year. So I have full confidence. And again, it's going to be one of those where he's going to know his role. So I'm giving him a nine. I can't justify going that high with Javon Carter. (laughs) But there is a lot to like about what he does, what he is as a player. And most importantly, the level of importance that his role is, which is to say pretty low comparatively. If everybody else is healthy and Javon Carter is collecting like four to eight minutes in a playoff game because you need to wear down the opposing point guard. Sure. I trust him to do that. I don't trust his shot. The way that he's been shooting lately has been good. I don't know how real it is. And I certainly don't know how it's going to translate into a, a postseason environment. I, he doesn't offer for as much as we detested seeing it happen, or maybe it was just me. Um, like point Dante had something. I don't think that Point Carter has a lot to offer. Like, he's not a creator. He's not a playmaker. And that's fine. He doesn't need to be. But I don't think that he's going to be huge um, in in anything more than his limited role, which is hopefully going to be all he's asked to do. Yeah, I I can't go nine either. But uh, I appreciate Kyle going going to that level. I'm not sure if he can... Shoot, I, I find it a little strange that he didn't make playoff rotations uh, the last couple of years. For he didn't make it last year for Phoenix. I kind of I know they obviously have a good backcourt, but I guess I kind of assumed if they were if he was that good, he might have been able to crack it a little bit. Um, all right, last couple here. These will probably go faster. Jordan Wara, Kyle, how are you feeling about Jordan Wara in the playoffs? You know, if you had asked me before the Suns game, I would have said one. After the Suns game, I'll go up to a three. He seems, I, I, and because, and a lot of it is Bud will take him out as soon as he starts doing dumb shit. So I, I have more <laughs> faith that he will not do prolonged damage. So I'll give it a three. I, I think it's still nice to have someone that can create their own shot. I think it's nice to have someone that, if they shoot it, they're going to shoot it. And they know. I think it's just one of those where he seems to get, he seems to be improving. And Bud will take him out as soon as he starts screwing up. He is a defensive liability, and that terrifies the living hell out of me. But at, I, I think he's gotten – he's making slow improvements. So I'll say three. But I also think that's more with Bud not limiting the damage as much as possible. One. One. <laughs> that's fair. Not one. That's it. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm, I, I think Jordan Nora is a nice player. Jordan Wara 
is a nice player. I think that his offense has come along. I think he's making better decisions with the ball, and that's all great. I can't trust him on defense in the regular season. There's no universe in which I'm going to trust him on defense in the postseason, and as a result, I don't want him on the floor in the postseason. If Jordan Wara is playing impact rotation minutes in the playoffs, something's going horribly wrong. This year. This year. I'm not saying that there's no hope for his development in the future. It's just, no. Not right now, Jordan. Not right now. One, It's a one for me. Uh, all right. Thanasis Antetokounmpo. Where where are we at on Thanasis, Kyle? If he's getting... He got some playoff minutes last year. Got some playoff Two. minutes last year. Two. The only reason why it's not a one is because I know he's not going to do dumb shit with the ball. He's going to follow someone. He's going to, he comes in for the last 10 seconds. He's going to do some, he's going to defend someone really hard and follow them too. (laughs) He's not, the only reason it's higher, it's not a one. He's not going to take shots. He will, he shouldn't be taking shots in that situation. I mean, he might cut for a dunk once or twice, which he's good at that. Um, I'll go 1.5 for Thanasis. Similar rationale for Wara, like, if you're playing Thanasis willingly, major rotation miss, something has gone terribly wrong. Maybe it's your team's fault, maybe it's not. But, like, the, the guy is just, he's chaos incarnate on the court, and that's not a good thing, because somebody's going to get hurt sooner or later. It ha- Yeah, it has It has started to get a little scary sometimes with the uh, Thanasis late game, late game minutes. It, it's, a, it's a one for me. We're not sure about DeAndre Bembry, who seemed like he, he he I think he left the court. Um, you had to be helped off the court against the Warriors. They're still waiting results on an MRI. So I think we'll probably avoid ranking him if if he somehow was able to make it back. Do you guys have any confidence in him in the, no. in the playoffs? Okay. <laughs> like we didn't have faith in West Matthews. I have lost faith in Bembry. Yeah, that's that's kind of where I was at too. Um what about the two-way guys? Any faith in the two-way guys? Wigginton or Mamu if they get minutes? Oh man. Didn't uh, didn't that Elijah guy, what was his last name? Didn't he Elijah Bryant. Yes, yeah. he got he got he some got spot shot, minutes yeah. against the Nets, man. I mean, the Bucks right. didn't have a, a they didn't have a point guard, they didn't have a backup <laughs> point guard available. He was yeah. It was all bad. It was all bad. Mamu yeah. 0.5 Wigginton 0. Yeah, Mamu at least has like he has some savvy on offense. Like, like the guy knows how to play. It's just that like his brain says, "Oh, do this and then do this and then our team will be able to do that." But his body just isn't capable of keeping up on an NBA court. He's not an NBA athlete. He's smart enough with the ball. He's smart enough on offense that it gives him a point five. All right. Well, he's just happy to get. He's just happy to get a ranking. So thanks to thanks to Mamu. All right. Um, real briefly. There were three games this past week. The Bucks beat OKC. They didn't play half their players. OKC didn't play half their players. It was ridiculous. Giannis had 39, 19 shots. He was crazy. Bucks also beat the Hawks the next night. Giannis, 43 points on 22 shots. Shut down Trey in the first half. And then the Bucks lose to the Warriors, 109, 122. Giannis, 31 points. Clay goes off. He has a, a season high. Lots of graphics about his highest point total since 2019. Uh, Jordan Poole, 30 points. Seth Curry just has eight points. Uh, he, any of those games, Kyle, uh, I'll let you speak on them. I don't think we need to go in-depth on any of them. The Thunder game, the Thunder might have might have the most forgettable team in the face of the earth and other than <laughs> Shea Gilles-Alexander. I could not name another player on the Thunder, and they really need to do something with those picks or just move the team back to Seattle at that rate. Like, come on. Um, the Hawks, it was good to see the relative 
composure for the Bucks. It seems there are points where the Hawks might make a comeback, kind of similar to what happened on MLK Day, but Giannis absolutely decided no. Chris was playing pretty well. Bobby was pretty good. The Hawks were shooting fine from three, but I, I think Milwaukee had enough composure that they held it together. And the Warriors game was just a game where it didn't go your way, and it'd be like that sometimes. I don't know. Like, good on Clay to finally have his he's back game. It's just unfortunate it was against the Bucks. I it was just a sloppy game all around. I think Milwaukee started game like two of twelve, and I think that was a good indicator how things were going to turn out. Yep, it's the regular season. If they lose one game for every two, they win. That's about what can be expected over the course of an eighty-two game schedule. We got like what? We got like thirteen or fourteen more of these to go before the games actually matter. I think they're ready for it. I know I'm ready for it. Yeah, I think that's about all that needs to be said. We'll we'll have some more regular season games. We at least we have a couple more matchups with the Sixers and Nets. Those will be fun to talk about. But uh, these games, I would say, are a little bit forgettable. All right, we're gonna take a quick ad break. Other side of this, we'll make our predictions. Kyle's got a film review. We'll close it out. All right, we're back. Kyle, Kyle, let's do your film review. Yep. Uh, so I finally got around to watching No Time to Die, the latest James Bond movie. I don't know why it took as long for me to watch it as it did. <laughs> um, I think part of it was COVID not wanting me. And oh, that's why it was only in theaters. So it's not like I could watch on a streaming service. So I had to wait until it showed up on a streaming service. The final Daniel Craig movie, it was really good. I think it did a good job of kind of wrapping up Daniel Craig's time as James Bond. I'd say it's his second best James Bond movie, obviously Skyfall's first, and there's nothing that's going to top that. And in terms of Daniel Craig as James Bond, I'd probably put him, like, second or third. Like, he did really well in these five films. And, I mean, I can't fault him for Quantum of Solace because that was just shitty writing more than anything else. But I think this one, I think you had your typical Bond moments where he was, you know, able to slither his way out of danger. You saw enough of the vulnerability. You saw the brawn that it like, I think it was a good display of James Bond. I think it was a really good movie. My only criticism was it went a little long. Like, I think it, I, I feel like that could have maybe gone like even 20 minutes less and it would have been great. But no, I, and I'm someone that really loves James Bond movies. So I always like have a higher standard for it. I'll give it an A. Like, it, like I said, it was a good Bond movie. I think it's Daniel Craig's second best Bond movie, and I think he did a really good job. It's just a little too long to my liking. I feel like there's the plot kind of dragged out a little bit like in the final part. Okay. I still haven't seen it. I've been wanting to see it. So I'm glad to hear that, it got, that you, you feel positive about it because obviously, yeah, Skyfall was awesome. I have to admit, I forget what, what was the one after Skyfall. I don't think I, saw, I don't think I saw that one. It was, and I feel like you do, you do have to watch part of Spectre. I feel like Spectre does set up um, No Time to Die. So I feel like watch Spectre, well, just more because of the, I don't know if it's the Bond, like because of the Bond girl, like that is a big plot that go like that kind of sets the stage for a good chunk of the plot in No Time to Die. Like, I think you have to watch Spectre to understand some of the plot points in No Time to Die. So I'd say watch it and then watch, yeah, like Skyfall, I feel like you could have gotten away with not watching the other ones. Like, yeah, but this one, no, I, I would say watch Spectre. It will it will answer some of the questions that might come up. Okay. Well, maybe I'll do that on my Sunday. I was looking for something to watch, so maybe I'll, I'll run through the Bond movies. Yeah. 8.0 8 review? That's pretty good. That's pretty I, good. And, you know, I had a good time. Like, I was nervous at first because I was like, I don't know how this is going to turn out. Like, this could be a... 
this could be a Bond movie. Like, I Spectre was just a weird, clunky movie, and this one was like it flowed really well, just dragged. So I, I was really happy with it. My dad and I are still arguing about the new 007, but that's a side conversation for later. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So last part of the show, uh, Mitchell had to hop offline. He's got a, he's got coaching duties. He's probably out diagramming some plays. So Mitchell hopped offline, but we have our predictions and it's time to, uh, to run through them. Bucks are going to be on a Western conference road trip for the, uh, for the duration of this week. So Kyle, we have Monday at the jazz Bucks. Bucks always win there in Utah. Um, Wednesday at Sacramento, and then Saturday at Minnesota. How are you feeling about this week? I think two and one. I I, I feel good about the Kings. I feel I feel like beating the Kings should be required. If not, I'm <laughs> I will not be thrilled. It is what it is. So I, I'll give them the Kings. I think I think they'll do. They can beat the Wolves. I I, I don't know. I feel like this is one of those games where two of Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards, DeAndre, like feel like some of them will not shoot that well, so it's gonna hurt Minnesota down the road. Uh, yeah, I, I'll say two and one. I, I I don't know about the Jazz. That one is always a uh, history never bodes well, and the Jazz always seem to dial up a good enough scheme that can just destroy the Bucks. So yeah, I'll say two and one. Yeah, I 100% agree. The, the Jazz just always give us trouble. Quinn Snyder seems to like know exactly what to do to defeat our our defense. Um, that being said, I do enjoy Giannis running at Rudy Gobert and owning him. Um, oh, yeah. Giannis will get like 40 points, but the Bucks <laughs> will allow like 23s this to be is made. True. Yeah, this is true. That's going to be frustrating. So I'm going to go two and one, get some revenge on the Wolves for beating them earlier this year. So hopefully another solid week for the bucks. Um, we just won six straight. So hopefully they can start another winning streak again soon here. So, all right, well, that's going to do it for this episode. Thanks to Mitchell for filling in for Riley this week. Uh, go to brewhoop.com for all of our usual coverage. We'll have the Monday morning media roundup, my Wednesday wrap up Vans progress report, Morgan's weekly column as well. And uh, we'll have usual recaps. Kudos to Mitchell for covering those. Now he's on the West coast. We are thanking you in advance for doing that. Mr. Co-Managing Editor. So share the podcast with your friends. Thanks, as always, for listening. We'll talk to you again soon.